Welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast. I am Dr. Adisha Bletis. And I'm Jacob Shackman. In this podcast, we'll be speaking to researchers from around the world and talk to them about how their work is improving our daily lives. I hope you enjoy our conversation and that you learn something new. Today we are talking to Dr. Opinio Musa, a previous postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Chemistry and Polymer Science at the Stellenbosch University. He received the Mary Sklodowska Curie Action Individual Fellowship to conduct research at the Leibniz Institute for Polymer Research in Dresden, Germany. These global fellowships are one of the most prestigious research grants in Europe for young and upcoming researchers from all over the world. Dr. Musa is originally from Zimbabwe and completed his PhD in December 2019 under the supervision of Prof. Harold Pasch, who is a distinguished professor at the Stellenbosch University and a Cecil Research Chairperson in Analytical Polymer Science. For Dr. Musa's PhD, he developed a novel advanced multidimensional analytical technique that can be used to harvest a wealth of information on the microstructure of complex polymers. Dr. Opinio Musa was one of only five postgraduate students nationwide to receive the Sassel Postgraduate Medal from the South African Chemical Institute, awarded to postgraduate students who are innovative, entrepreneurial, and independent. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe and review, and you can send us any questions and comments to polymerSciencePodcast at gmail.com. So welcome to the Polymer Science Podcast, Dr. Opinion Musa. I really appreciate you coming on the episode. Firstly, for the listeners, this is the second time that I've spoken to Dr. Musa on the podcast. Uh, I had my first podcast blooper um, with the recording where it didn't record. And uh, well, yeah, now we're doing this again. And Dr. Opinion Musa is such a gracious person for granting me his time and um, re-recording this episode with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. So let's just jump right into the questions. We are speaking to Dr. Musa about his postdoctoral work, uh, which focuses on the engineering and characterization of exosome polymer hybrids. So um, can we just start by explaining what exosomes are? So I have your article in front of me, and um, because I also don't really have that much of a biological background, uh, so I had to read up on what exosomes are. And uh, it is described as a biological nanocarrier that offers several advantages over ex- existing drug delivery vehicles. Um, and it, uh, But there's also some limitations about exosomes, and that's why you are doing hybridizations with the exosomes and combining them with polymers. Um, can you just tell me why this hybridization is necessary? Yes. With exosomes, um, the discovery of exosomes was very groundbreaking, um, like you mentioned, like in terms of the field of drug delivery, targeted drug delivery. But the problem, of course, it's the, this, um, the proce- they are processed by the liver very quickly. So they have a short lifespan in the blood. So sometimes um, for successful and efficient uh, drug delivery, you need your carrier molecules or your cargo carrying molecules or the vesicle to have a, a certain minimum lifespan, you know, uh, ideally in the hours kind of range. So the problem is exosomes, although they have the specificity, you know, they can target, um, they can be used for targeted drug delivery, but they're easily processed in the body. And 
Also, for them to be used for drug delivery, you need to harvest them, inoculate drugs or put the drugs inside the vesicles and then re-inject the drugs for um, drug delivery. So that also brings another factor into play, which is the stability outside the body, outside the yeah. blood, the storage. And uh, so we, the, the idea was to create, you know, to fabricate a protective layer around the exosomes to see if this, we can still maintain the integrity of the exosomes, like they, the functionality is still preserved, but at the same time, you kind of create a shield, you know, from um, metabolic um, activity, uh, activity in the blood. So that was the, the idea of engineering these exosome hybrids. And this was the brainchild of uh, the Christoph, uh, Christoph Maschewski uh, Research Group in the USA. Um, they came up with this idea of engineering these exosome hybrids. But at the same time, you have this amazing hybrid molecule, but you really need to know, you know, how many chains do you actually have on this exosome? And you also need to know, like, what is the minimum chain load, you know, for effective, for the effective functioning of these exosomes? Mm -hmm. So... So to answer those analytical questions, that's when we came into the picture as the analytical scientist. At that point, I was more strongly inclined to, to the analytical side of chemistry. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so, um, well, just before we continue on to the, the part where you're actually more, um, you're, you're more specialized and your expertise come into play with the field flow fractionation part of this um, study, but maybe we can also just get into the part of the hybrids, the exosome polymer hybrids. Um, I saw in your article that you talk about cholesterol and DNA bioconjugation, and uh, then you also talk about controlled radical polymerization, which you do for the engineering of these hybrids. Um, mm. Can you just explain the basics around conjugation and how this is done with the cholesterol and the DNA? Okay. So the, 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 these bioconjugates are cholesterol DNA bioconjugates where the basis of the hybridization of our, or the engineering of our exosome. So a, a bioconjugate is simply a molecule, two molecules. One of them has to be like a biological molecule or both of them can be, but they are covalently bond, bonded together. Like it's some special local polymer, but without, you know, uh, polymers, but different kind of molecules. As a basis for our engineering, we use cholesterol uh, and DNA. Cholesterol, because you know, we we felt that since cholesterol is hydrophobic, we could use it as an anchoring device. You know, something that can hook onto the exosome, and then if it's hooked uh, with a with a very strong interactions, you can actually then generate polymer chains or join polymer chains together. And this is when uh, the DNA comes into play. DNA, especially when you're talking about double strands of DNA, you know, they exist in two strands and one strand is complementary to the other, you know. So if you have a cholesterol molecule that is uh, forming a bioconjugate with a single strand of DNA, um, you can actually then have another bioconjugate of a polymer that is of interest, preferably a bio-friendly polymer, also forming a bioconjugate with um, 
uh, a single strand of DNA, which is complementary to the single strand on, on the surface of the exosome connected to the cholesterol. And then just using simple complementary DNA tethering, you can actually have your polymer chain on the surface of the exosome. So that was the, the, the general idea about engineering this exosome polymer hybrids in the general uh -huh. sense. And yes. uh, um, now the radical polymerization that you used, you selected the photoimmediate yeah. atom transfer radical polymerization for the fabrication of the polymers. Um, how did you select that method? And can you just may perhaps also mention the how you selected the polymer or what type of polymer you used? Yes, um, thank you. Thank you for bringing that again, like the, the choice of the control radical polymerization um, process. Because we, we are dealing with uh, biomolecules, these exosomes that we, we have mentioned that they are biomolecules. So you, you need a biofriendly setup. Whatever polymerization uh, technique you're going to use, it has to be biofriendly. You cannot be using organic sulfurs because they are detrimental to, and you cannot be using toxic substances because we are trying to use these uh, molecules for medicinal activity. So we chose um, an oxygen scavenger. Uh, we, we chose a molecule that, because traditionally people can just use, you know, like scientists use the nitrogen gas just to purge out the oxygen because you don't need uh, oxygen in your reaction because it can be, it can cause a lot of biofouling and everything like that. So we, we came up with an idea of using an oxygen uh, scavenger uh, that is using uh, glucose and uh, sodium pyruvate, you know. So it's actually uh, glucose oxidase mediated photo-induced atom transfer radical polymerization. That was the, the, the full description of the uh, bio-friendly uh, polymerization technique that we used. And um, it's very biofriendly and biocompatible with our exosome. So that was the, the oh, yes. motivation for, for the choice. Oh, yes. So, yeah, that's a very beneficial um, characteristic. Um, uh, so getting a little bit more into the detail for the polymer science researchers that are listening, uh, you worked with field flow fractionation um, during the characterization of these hybrids. So um, I just want to talk about the technique and you've also developed some something more novel in terms of the field flow fractionation. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, um, because there's um, exosomes, I'm just trying to give you the background on why yes. we have to use field flow fractionation. These exosomes are very heterogeneous with regards, for example, to their size. They have a size range from like, 40 to like 160 nanometers, you know, and it means they also have different cargo carrying capabilities to, to mention just a few. So when you use batch mode techniques, like without any separation, you what you actually measure is the average of one extreme being 40 nanometers, one extreme being 160. So you actually need to, for accurate, you know, and actually more instant insightful uh, uh, exploitation of these exosomes, you need to know the distribution of their properties. So mm -hmm. to, to have a measurement or a quantification or a characterization of these uh, exosomes with the property distribution, you need a separation technique. And the separation technique of choice has to be friendly to, to these molecules, which are also a bit fragile. You know, they're not as 
mechanically strong and tough as as polymers or vesicles you make from polymers and their native nature can be disrupted let's say if you're using column techniques like size exclusion chromatography which have been traditionally used as separation so you have to separate the exosomes first of all then downstream after the separation you can have you know a system of detectors uh, a modular system of detectors capable of getting giving you information on the size of these molecules so traditionally you need to use separation techniques before you can even measure the size or measure for example for the engineered exosomes you also need to measure the number of chains per exosome surface you know yeah. the average number and the number of chains for every single slice in the distribution curve so you need to use separation techniques and traditionally you use chromatographic uh, based techniques but when you're dealing with these large molecules and also large and fragile molecules you you get to you tend to have problems when you have columns you know the interaction or the association uh, you you have problems with 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 columns mm-hmm. so in comes field flow fractionation in field flow fractionation it's a a contemporary separation technique just like um with the similar concept to chromatography but you don't need to have a column you just have an open channel which is actually very friendly to large and fragile molecules um so i don't know how much i should go into detail in the proper working mechanism of fff at this point but i'll just oh it would be great if you can just explain <laughs> how field flow fractionation works for some of the young students out there who is interested in it okay perfect so i'll just start off in the general sense and then i'll get to the actual sub technique of fff that i use because the working principles are basically the same so when i explain more for the choice of fff technique that i use which is hollow fiber flow field flow fractionation it will make more sense so in the general sense fff so in terms of fff it's the same set up you know detectors and pumping system and solvent system is basically the same setup with liquid chromatography but instead of having your separation taking place um on a column or involving a column you have an open channel there's nothing you just have a chamber that is open space and solvent is flowing through so the normal solvent that is flowing in the liquid chromatography in the same sense is the same that is in fff but now you have an external field for every fff technique there's an external field which is always at right angles or um, transverse to the flow of the solvent within the channel and that is the fractionating potential of uh, the strength of this field is actually the fractionating potential for an fff technique and the type of external field for every fff technique is the basis of the nomenclature so you have different fields you can have a thermal gradient then you're now talking about thermal fff you can have an, an electric field uh, then you're talking about electric fff or you can have a centrifugal force and you're talking about centrifugal fff or you can have a flow force or like a pressure force and then you're talking about flow fff so wow. i'm i'm going to so this force actually um within the channel it pulls molecules down from to towards uh, a bottom plate or a bottom um uh, surface or a bottom wall of this um channel. channel so you have the top wall and the bottom wall 
so the external field because it's 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 heating like from the top to bottom most of the time yeah nice. so it's pulling them to the accumulation wall so molecules generally experiencing a force that is just pulling them towards uh, an accumulation wall when they accumulate at, at the accumulation wall at the bottom of course you're going to have a larger concentration around this area so naturally molecules would like to diffuse away from the regions of higher concentration to the regions of uh, lower concentration from higher concentration to lower concentration mm -hmm. that's just a simple phenomenon of, of diffusion yeah so so essentially you now have two forces that are counteracting each other you know they're going in opposite direction pulling against each other one is pulling them to the bottom and one is trying to pull away from the bottom so eventually you'll have steady state conditions in the channel way um because smaller molecules have faster rates of diffusion generally they would want to or they will achieve equilibrium or steady state conditions at more elevated positions from the accumulation wall than larger molecules because they really have slow moving speeds, you know, away from yeah. accumulation wall. But within the same channel, you also have a flow. Like I say, it's called field flow fractionation. So I've been talking about the field this whole time, how the field is making molecules of different sizes um, behave differently within the channel, you know, um, yes. at steady state conditions. So you now have the flow. So mostly because of the aspect ratio of the channel, you tend to have a parabolic flow profile. That is, at the center of the channel, you, you have the fastest moving uh, streamlines of, of, of your fluid, of your solvent. They are moving fastest at the center. And of course, as you approach the walls, whether the top wall or the bottom wall, it becomes slower, you know? Okay. So, because like I said, the larger molecules are more closer to the bottom accumulation wall than the smaller molecules you are, which are more at elevated positions at steady state conditions. This flow will also trigger another way of separating these molecules, you know, as mm. the faster streamlines will actually sweep out the smaller molecules faster from the channel than the larger molecules, which will generally elude slower. So in a very simple description, that is <laughs> what FFF is all about. So I'm going to talk about now the choice of selection. Uh, we used a flow, field flow fractionation for our separation, which is a more contemporary sub-technique um, called hollow fiber flow field flow fractionation. Uh, you, you, you basically have a flow that is pumped, you know, transverse to the flow of the channel. That is, that becomes the fractionating power of the, of the separation. You know, it's it's right. the fluid that is pumped uh, axial, like in hollow fiber. It's not just from top to bottom, but it's actually from center, yes, from, from the central position, like in an axial direction. So the accumulation wall is actually um, the the outer surface of this tube. It's a hollow fiber tube. Yes. You know, it's a hollow fiber tube. So you find that the the larger molecules will be at the outer layer of the tube, the mm. uh, the ring layer that is more uh, closer to the outer surface of the tube and the smaller okay, molecules okay. because they they'll be more central you know they'll mm -hmm. be more on the central axial positions you know and then okay. that's how you achieve uh, fractionation um, using the hollow fiber okay, uh, but wow. essentially you're using a flow field to achieve your separation that is just yes. uh, pulling molecules towards 
the ends of this tube in at different um applied forces different applied yeah. no, same applied yeah. force but different uh yeah. reaction to the applied force different yeah. reaction to the applied force yeah but this particular sub technique of flow field flow fractionation of which the most popular one is the asymmetrical flow field flow fractionation i'm not going to talk much about it but hollow fiber is more ideal when you're trying to separate um like low concentration samples or like low volumes and actually you want to achieve high resolution and high uh, response detector responses but you have minimum concentration so when it comes to exosomes they're also very limited and expensive to to have like large concentrations of them uh, of such samples for your analysis so it it is more sensible to to use this technique if you have smaller concentration and uh, uh smaller volumes but other than just the fractionation part it was how to the the more novel aspect of our work was how to measure the number of chains on the on the exosome surface for uh, every okay. single elution slice and then we had to use a very special uv detector with a broad range of uh uv absorbances being detectable and then you have to modify also the chains to have you label the chains with a specific uh material with a, also a specific absorbance on your on your on the uv detector and then you can you can actually monitor the the uv absorbance of that specific um molecule on the chain on the polymer chain and then that's how you are able to quantify exactly how many chains you have um wow yeah it's awesome just to uh, also yeah i just want to make sure that the people understand what are the, uh, the research goals for these hybrids that you are making the exosome polymer hybrids this exosomes they are supposed to be used for clinical translations you know to use them for uh cancer drug delivery targeted cancer drug delivery and the the particular exosomes that i'm talking about have actually been used like you know free uh clinical trials using mice you know and we found that when you have the protective polymer surface or surface functionalized uh, exosome surface they is actually uh increased lifespan in in the blood you know they are not really uh cleared out of the blood as quickly and they can actually be able to be injected and actually get to the targeted um targeted tissue without yet being processed out of the blood by the liver oh, yes. so the idea was to prolong their shelf life so that they have enough time you know to get to the target and then yeah to be more effective to be more effective so that was the the main idea and also when you harvest them because like i mentioned you have to take them from other cells and then you inoculate them with drugs and when you're doing all that it's not in the blood you all right so if 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 you if they degrade and they aggregate and they lose their quality uh, before you even use them they're not going to be very useful for any clinical mm-hmm. uh, um use so that's yeah. The, yeah to to make them more attractable to make them more um suitable for pre- clinical translation in particular for cancer targeted drug delivery thank you so much for um answering all these questions and explaining so thoroughly so i've also saw that in your um 
ACMX pitch that you had uh, earlier in the previous week, you also uh, mentioned that the exosomes are very useful for COVID-19 and uh, the possible treatments and um, identification thereof. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that can be useful for the pandemic? Okay, that's a, that's a very good question and a very topical issue right now, given you know the pandemic that we have right now. And in general, before I respond specifically to that, the, the, the potential or the applications of exosomes are very unlimited. Like it's just, we have just opened Pandora's box. So it's, there's unlimited potential for them. Uh, in the general sense, but specifically for COVID treatment in one area, uh, exosomes have been harvested from stem cells, you know, from stem cells. And these exosomes have been shown to stimulate the regeneration of uh, inflamed tissue or like uh, damaged tissue. So in, in most cases in COVID-19 patients, what actually kills the patient is somehow the respiratory uh, tissue it gets damaged and the, usually the patients suffer from acute respiratory distress syndrome, like they can't breathe and everything like that because the, the, the pathways have been damaged and um, they can't you know, breathe properly. They don't have sufficient oxygen. So mm -hmm. exosomes have been harvested from stem cells and they've been shown to actually uh, regenerate uh, broken down skin or damaged uh, tissue. So in one area, you're not really fighting the virus directly, but you are actually kind of like trying to circumvent or you're trying to, you're trying to cure the destructive nature of the virus. Almost treat, yeah, treat it, the symptoms. Yes. The so damages. Yeah. The damages. Uh, that's one way they have been used uh, in, more recently, the, the, the publications that have been saying is on the stem cells that are harvested from exosomes that are harvested from stem cells to actually uh, regenerate uh, tissue that has been destroyed by the COVID-19 infections. That's one that's area. Amazing. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, also, I mentioned the SEMX pitch, and I also just wanted to congratulate you on winning an award for that pitch. Uh, it's for the International Symposium of Separation of Natural and Synthetic Molecules. Um, very much congratulations on that. And I know you'll have a lot, of, lot more success coming your way soon because you're such a hard worker and very dedicated and clearly very passionate about polymer science for actually granting me your time again and like spending time on a weekend talking to me and re-recording this episode. I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank You're you so much. Kind. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, awesome. It was great to speak to you. It's been a pleasure. Like you, you're good people. You're good vibes. I enjoyed the interview. You were very friendly and accommodating and very wow. insightful in your questioning and how you tackle the, the issues. Thanks for with your guests. I like your approach. So, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure and I enjoyed the interview. Thank you for your hospitality.